0: Four, part 3 from the sermon series Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on this Thanksgiving sort of service or this Thanksgiving season really sort of embarks the holiday season for us, the Christmas season. And it's supposed to be sort of this real festive time, isn't it? That we come together, that we're going to share in a meal, you're going to get together with your family members, it's going to be a great, joyous moment. And for many of you in this room, this could really be a highlight for you, this season of life. You're going to get ready. I'm sure a lot of you are going to wake up early in the morning on Friday. You're going to get ready for that Black Friday sales. You're going to stand in line at different stores and get ready to buy gifts for your loved ones because they're just worth that much for you that you would be willing to lose sleep over it and, then, and get a good deal and save some money. And so a lot of you are getting ready for even that. So for some of you in this room, this idea of Thanksgiving and the Christmas season does bring a lot of joy into your hearts, you get excited about it. There is this festive spirit about you, but then there also are some of you in this room where this can be probably one of the more depressing times of the year for you. In fact, officers and other folks are really on high alert during this time, during the Christmas season, because it's what they say is probably the most depressing time of the year for a lot of Americans. Suicide rates are at its all-time high during this season. Uh, Three years ago, on November 21st, my father passed away. And I'll be remembering that in about three days from now. And it was only a few days before Thanksgiving when he did go to be with the Lord and i still remember getting together at my sister-in-law's house and her family they all got together we got together i took my mom with me because i didn't want her to be alone by herself it wasn't the right space for her to be alone during uh thanksgiving especially after losing her husband and we were there and the mood was festive they were laughing and and people were excited and and things like that but my mother and i we, we just really couldn't be we we did the best we could we smiled uh we put on a happy face but deep down there was still this grieving process that we had to go through. And three years ago, uh, the whole Christmas, Thanksgiving season was anything but joyful for me and even for my mother and for my family. I still remember that two weeks after my father had passed, I got up here and I preached a sermon. I don't know if you remember that, if you were here. And if I can just be very honest with you, as I was preaching it, I felt like I was committing a violent act to my soul. There was no reason for me to actually be preaching for me to come back to work so quickly and sharing God's word with you when I was really kinda still going through this season of lament in my life. And I went to Pastor Kevin and I said, Kevin, I can't do this. I'm gonna need you to step in for the rest of the year and preach the whole year out for me because I just can't do this anymore. And so for some of us in this room, this holiday season is a reminder of maybe losing some really important people that we love or that we loved. And we live in a culture today where the Thanksgiving season is supposed to be this festive time. But how can we be thankful when our souls feel so heavy today? How can we do that? How can we be thankful and joyful when we feel like so much about our lives are just going wrong instead of it's really going right? It's really difficult for some of us. And today, as we sort of continue in this series in the book of Acts, we're going to look at chapter 5 and the first 11 verses. Um, And as we look at this, up until this point, the church is like this supernatural community. I mean, they are awesome, they're perfect. The church had grown from just a handful of people to about twelve to 15,000 people at this time in chapter 5. It's just exploding. The church is able to deal with adversities outside of the church and also inside the church. And they dealt with it with such beauty and such grace and that God just continues to allow the church to flourish. So up until this point, the church is perfect but you and I all know that churches are not perfect right there are no such thing as a perfect church yes there's a perfect God but there is no such thing as a perfect church and what we find in this story is that there are two people in the church where sin had entered into their hearts and they bring that before the church and what we're going to learn is we're going to learn how God deals with that It's the first time we actually are exposed to sin in the church, which is kind of the norm today. And as we look at this passage and and we see how God deals with this sin so severely with these two particular people, we're actually going to be able to learn how we can be joyful that precipitates a heart of thankfulness today on this Thanksgiving Sunday, regardless of the circumstances that might be contributing to some of your sorrow today. All right, so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 36, and then we're going to jump into the first 11 verses in chapter 5. Here we go. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. We know that Barnabas was also a companion to Paul. Sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. That's a key phrase there, what Peter just says. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church. The first time the word church is mentioned in Acts, the word church underlined that and all who heard about these events. Let's bow our heads one more time for a moment in prayer. And so God, we look at this text and for the very first time we see a form of wrath, God, that you poured out in the church. And God, I know this may not be the most typical Thanksgiving sermon, but God, I pray that you'll help us as we dig deep into this text. I pray, God, that we would learn the depths of who you are. So God, that we can better comprehend the love that you so freely give to us. Help us to understand what is really going on in this text. And God, most of all, help us to be, help us to be in a place where we can be joyful and thankful regardless of external circumstances or even internal things that we might be struggling with today. So I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that it will be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said... Amen. All right. So, when, you, when we start off at chapter 4, verse 36, and we're introduced to a character by the name of Joseph, who's also known as Barnabas. And what we find with Joseph is that this man had some money, he had extra property, and he ended up selling his property, and he brought it to the feet of the apostles, and he said, Here you go. This is the entire sum. Give to anyone who had. Need Now, what we find out is that in in, in this early church that there were some people who actually had some money. They had some wealth. They had property. And because they were so filled, and if you didn't listen to Pastor Mike's sermon last Sunday, I want to encourage you really to listen to it because it was powerful. And he talks about the church being the supernatural community, and they had this overwhelming sense of generosity. And the reason why they were so generous was because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were full of God's love. And naturally what that precipitated was this ultra generous posture. And so that's what happened. People were selling property, selling their homes. And they gave it to the apostles because the church was not wealthy. There were a lot of people in the church that had tremendous need. And they said, give to anyone who has need. Twelve to 15,000 people. It says in the Bible that not one of them had a need. Why? Because people like Barnabas, people like the early church, some of the folks had such a heart of generosity, they gave it all to the apostle, and they said, just give it to whoever is in need. Then we get to chapter 5, and we meet Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple who has also property. And they decide to sell that property, and rather than telling the disciples that they've kept some for themselves, they they wanted the disciples and the church to believe that they had given all all of that money to them and to the church the way the other people were doing they lied and as a result of that we find that god deals with this so harshly and how does he deal with it he kills them both kind of odd isn't it i mean why didn't god give them a chance to repent i mean isn't that kind of harsh come on let's as we look into the story and you find that, I mean, they gave more than 10%. They gave some money at least. Why would God strike these two down and kill them? I mean, it almost seems so harsh when you look at this text and you're overwhelmed by what God had done. Now, scholars debate about this. And there's a small group of scholars that would say, the reason why God did that is because he can't, because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't fall under a jurisdiction or a sense of rule that he has an order that he has to follow. He's God and he can do whatever he wants. So that's a group of scholars that will contend that. There's another group of scholars that will actually say, well, you know what? It's because the church was so holy. It was perfect. And in order for God to maintain that holiness, he had to deal with Ananias and Sapphira so severely. That's another train of thought. But the majority of the scholars will contend that what happened with Ananias and Sapphira is a foreshadowing of what is going to happen to every single one of us on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, you and I will come before God. Make no mistake about this. And as you sit before him... He will judge you based upon how you lived your life. That's going to be important to God because that will exemplify if you actually have faith in him or not. You see, faith is not abstract. I wish it was because then it would be pretty easy. But on the day of judgment, God's going to sit down, he's going to take a look at your life, and he's going to see how you believed in him based upon how you lived your life. That is, a for, that is what's going to happen on judgment day. And so what happens to Ananias and fire? perhaps is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen on the day of judgment. And what we find here is that we find that the reason why God struck them down was because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter just said, you didn't just lie to us, but you lied to the Holy Spirit. And you know what that really signifies? What that teaches you and I is that if you and I have the audacity to lie to God, who knows the truth, we probably don't believe in God. Right? Why would you lie to God? Doesn't he know the truth? I mean, just think about that. Suppose well, someone had video of you doing something and you said you didn't do it, but yet there's video of you doing it. I mean, it just would not make any sense for you to try to defend that when we know the truth. For Ananias and Sapphira to have the audacity to lie, and Peter, they thought they were just lying to the apostles, but what they didn't get and that what they didn't understand was that their lying to the apostles meant that they were lying to the church. And when, if it meant that they lied to the church, it meant that they were lying to God. And because they lied to God, God struck them down. Because in the end, they really didn't believe in God. And so here's the thing that they truly lacked. And if you and I want to be thankful today, if you and I want to have this heart of joy during this Thanksgiving and holiday season, this is the key crux of the sermon here today. That if you want to be thankful and joyful in God, you have to live your life with integrity. You see, for what happened with Ananias and Sapphira is that they lacked the integrity. And so because they lacked the integrity, they lied. Because what's the opposite of integrity? It's lying, right? Integrity simply means this. It's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. All right? Moral uprightness. And what we find now is that as Peter is trying to help us to understand and and, and to develop a deeper ecclesiology, which is a theology of the church. You see, Peter says, you didn't just lie to a few guys here. You lied to God. And so what he's associating, this is important for you to get as we're in chapter 5 of Acts, is that what Peter wants you and I to simply know is this, is that when we lie to the church, we lie to God. Because the church and God are so deeply connected together. In fact, in many ways, they're synonymous when you look at this passage, because Peter said, you didn't just lie to us, but you lied to the Holy Spirit. He said, you didn't just lie to the church, but you lied to God. And so what you and I need to see today, and this is important because the majority of Christians today, and especially those who don't go to church today, they do not believe that God and the church should be synonymous. They don't believe that. They don't believe that that there's much connections between God and the church. In fact, they they actually believe that they're, they're, they're dichotomized, that they're separate, and that's dangerous because when you look at the book of Acts and you look at as Peter is trying to form this theology of the church, he's associating the church with God. And you have to see that as well. So say, you want, say what you want to say about the church. And I know that the church has had a real bad reputation over the last several years, especially when you hear about clergy and priests doing some terrible sinful things to young children and other people like that. When you hear of clergy stealing money from the church, all of those things. And I know many of you, sometimes you lose faith in the church. If you're truly people of the Bible, you cannot do that. Because the church is God, and God is the church. Amen? God will judge those clergy. God will judge those pastors, those priests who have hurt and destroyed the lives of people. You and I don't have to worry about that. God will judge them on the day of judgment the way he judged Sapphira and Ananias. Our job is to uphold the integrity of the church at the best we can, knowing that it's a bunch of people that are broken, that are flawed, but yet God is so deeply identified with the church. And that's why, you remember Saul? When he was this great Pharisee, Saul became Paul, and, and we'll get there eventually. Remember when Saul got the edict from the Sanhedrin council that he can go out and persecute all the Christians that he wants, and he's taking that edict with him, and he's sitting on that donkey on the Damascus road, and as he's going there, what happens? Jesus just strikes him with a bright light. He falls to the ground, and do you remember what Jesus said to him in uh, chapter 9, verse 4? If you don't have, go go to your Bibles, go to your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Look at what happens here. It says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. He doesn't say, why do you persecute the church? Why do you persecute Christians? He says, why do you persecute me? Jesus identifies himself with the body of Christ, which is the church. And what you find here is that this is the beginning in verse 11 where the word church, ecclesia, is mentioned, but it's mentioned 23 times in the book of Acts. And so there is now this robust theology of the church that you and I need to embrace. And so when Paul realized that what he was doing was that as he was persecuting the church, he was actually persecuting Jesus, that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul, what does he say about the church? He says it's the body of Christ. And he says, Jesus is the head of the body. You see, Paul views the church as the body of Christ. And you have to see it as such. Ananias and Sapphira, they fell in their understanding because they, didn't, they thought they were just lying to a few apostles. They didn't know that they were lying to God. And as a result of it, God struck them down. And so God wants you and I to have a sense of integrity today, that if we can have a sense of integrity about who we are, being honest, having a sense of moral uprightness, that really is the path to true thankfulness and joy. What are the two areas in which God wants you to have integrity in today? The first one is with your money and your possessions. It's with your money and your possessions, all right? For Ananias and Sapphira... They lied to the Holy Spirit, and the lie was simply because they lacked the integrity with their money and their possessions. They weren't honest about it. Peter said, listen, you didn't have to give us all the money. What made you think you had to? You could have just kept a portion for yourself, be honest about it, and just give us whatever you want to give us. We never told you to give us all of it. Why did you come and lie to us, right? They did not have integrity with their money and their possessions. And so here's the key thing here that I want you to get. You have to get this today because a lot of you, it just goes past you all the time, all right? The wrong use of our money is a serious sin in God's eyes. You need to catch that. When you and I misallocate our money, it's a serious sin in God's eyes. And so what does God want you to have? He wants you to have integrity with your money and your possessions. He really does. And part of that is, is that to ask yourself, how are you doing in this area? You know, the major reason why God cares so much about this isn't just so that you can fund the church or help the things of God. No, you know why God wants you to do this, wants you to have integrity with your money and your possessions? is because nothing will destroy your capacity to experience God's love with your heart than when you and I fall in love with money. Do you know that? There is no other thing out there that, that, that if you fall in love with more like money that will prevent you from experiencing the very love of God. There is no other distraction. And I'm telling you, everyone in this room, because we live in the great United States of America, because we grew up in a home in which we grew up in, every single one of us, we want to become wealthy in money. It's a desire that you all have, a desire that your parents have for you. It's a desire that we have even for our own children, that we want them to grow up and we want to become wealthy with our money. And I'm here to tell you that for the early church and for God, that is not as hard for you. God's heart for you is not to be wealthy with money. His heart for you is to be wealthy with his love. Amen? That's what God has. That's what God desires for you and for me, is that we would be wealthy, we would be billionaires, trillionaires with his love. And nothing would destroy our capacity to experience God's love than our love for money. Jesus talks more about money than anything else in the, new, in, in the Gospels. We know that. We've covered that already when we looked at the book of Luke the gospel of Luke. And we find here that money is such an economic issue, such a major theme in the early church here in Acts. So how are you using your money today? Do you have integrity with your money and your possessions? How do you have integrity with your money and your possessions? It's really the one way. If you're using your money and your possessions and it's only benefiting you, that's not having integrity with it. Because if God is the God of this universe and he gives everything to us, and he even gives us our money, our salaries, whatever we have, God expects you and I, like the early church, like with Ananias, with Barnabas, and with these people, that he expects us to bless him by giving a portion of that to him. That's part of having integrity and being honest about it. Don't be dishonest about it, but be honest about where you are with that. Nothing will destroy our capacity to experience God's love than our love for money. And the major reason why God wants you, to, wants you to be generous with your money and your possessions is so that we do not fall under the demise and the pull of money. Because when that happens, then we lose our capacity to experience God's love with our heart. Do you know that there's so many of us in this room, you know God loves you with your mind, but very few of us in this room, you actually know that God loves you with your heart. Man, if you knew that God loves you with your heart, it's just this, this, this realization where you can say, God really loves me. I cannot believe you really love me, God. And there's a sense of the wealth that you experience in God's love, and you realize how, how important that is as opposed to any other thing. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says this, and he wants to warn you and I with this as well, that we need to have integrity with our money and our possessions. He says this, he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of God. That when you and I fall in love with money, Jesus says you can either love me or you can love money. You got to pick. You can't love both. It's impossible. And Paul says that when we do, we open ourselves up to all kinds of evil because the money, love for money, is the root to so much evil in this world. And so what happens with Ananias and Sapphira is that Peter indicts them and says, how have you allowed Satan to enter into your heart? He says that. And really a technical word for that is demonization. Ananias and Sapphira were demonized because they lacked integrity with their money and their possessions. And so as a result of that, Satan had entered into their heart. You know what demonization is? Demonization is when you allow Satan to get you so obsessed with something like money or something else that you are completely blinded by the consequences of you falling in love and being obsessed with that one thing. And when, and there's nothing more in this culture that you and I obsess over more so than just money. And so we have to be careful And one of the ways in how we can free ourselves from this bondage and this love for money is to let go and embrace this heart of generosity that Pastor Mike talked about last Sunday. Your money and your possessions, do you have integrity with it? Is it just for you and your family and your kids? Or are you actually thinking outward and saying, you know what, but God wants me to bless others through it. And so, you know, we, we have within our church, we have a Christmas offering coming up soon. It's starting today. It's our first Sunday of starting our Christmas offering. And there should be some information in your bulletin about where that money is going. And that's to help missionaries, it's to help our community center, it's to help Zemle to really go forward and move forward uh, with God. And so I hope that you'd be generous with that for the next 11 weeks to the end of January. Our goal is to raise one hundred and fifty something thousand dollars or so. Building fund, many of back in June, a lot of us, we said that we're going to commit to a certain amount. I hope you have integrity in that. I really do. And that you give to whatever you pledge to give to the church so this, so that we can have our own community center one day. There's a lot more going on with that and hopefully in the next couple of months we can share and update you more. We're connecting with the city, with the mayor and things like that. There's a lot of work going on behind the scene that we'd love to share with you. Tithing is such a base baseline approach to us so that we don't fall in love with money, that we give 10% of our wealth to God through the church. And to have integrity with that, because if you're a partner in the church and you've covenanted I hope that you will have integrity with that. A couple years ago, we had somebody, um, a family that just asked if they can meet with me for a moment, and I did. I met with them. And they asked me, they said, listen, we're actually struggling um, a bit financially. Is it okay if we can take back a bit of our percentage of our tithe I was so touched that this couple has such integrity about their finances because when you become a partner or a member of the church, we hope and we covenant with us and with God that you will give to this church, you are tied to this church. And the fact that they would take it so seriously and they would contact me and say, is it okay? I said, of course it's okay. Of course it's okay that you can do that. This was a couple that had such integrity with their money and their possessions. Listen, nothing will destroy your capacity to experience God's love for you when you and I fall in love with money. And so what are we doing about that? Will you hold it with loose hands and trust in the Lord and realize that what God has given to you, you're so blessed, but will you share that so that others who are in need, even here in our community, will no longer be in need. I need to bring this up to you because this is getting dire for us. There is a family in our church. They live here in Englewood. A grandmother living with her two grandkids. For the past six to eight months, we've been trying to find them housing. They're currently in Section A housing. And Pastor Sunita and her crew have been working so diligently trying to find an apartment for them anywhere here in Bergen County. And it's finally come to the realization that there's just nothing available. And this grandmother is 80 years old so, and she's got health issues, so she can't just go out and work. And I want to bring this before us as a church because the Church of Acts did this. And I don't feel bad about it at all. But for some of you, you have capacity perhaps. You might even have an apartment, a spare apartment. You might have an opportunity. You might even have the finances to help this family so that they can be together. Because if they don't get this housing, eventually the state will take the grandkids away from their grandmother. And we don't want that to happen, guys. And so here's a tangible need that we have in our church. Somebody in our community, a beautiful family, a grandmother who is not physically healthy, but doing her best to take care of her two grandkids so that the state doesn't take them out. Will we as a community rise up? And will some of us say, you know what, we'll take care of that. I know somebody who has an apartment that might be willing to take section A rent. We can figure something out. That's the church. And if you and I have integrity with our money and our possessions at that level, we experience joy and thankfulness during this season and, and, and then some, especially even as we go through some hardships in our life. And so if there's anyone here, if God's sort of tickling your ear or your heart right now saying investigate, would you contact me this week or send me an email and Cindy and I maybe will get together and we can talk to you and flesh this out a little bit more. All right? L- the last thing in which God wants our church to have integrity in is with our sins and our brokenness. Is with our sins and our brokenness. Ananias' sin was that he wanted esteem from the church. He longed for it. You see, those folks who had the disposable income, who had extra property, who were able to sell it and give it all to the church, I mean, they were just like, you guys are absolutely awesome, thank you. And so what they wanted was not necessarily the money, but they wanted the esteem. And I think you and I can relate to that at some levels, wanting the esteem from others that maybe maybe you don't have a desire to be wealthy in, in money, maybe some of us in this room, we really want to be wealthy in high esteem. And maybe you can be honest and real about it. If Ananias and Sapphira just had somebody that they were walking with, they could be honest about their brokenness and saying, hey, I just sold this property and um, I I want to keep a portion of it, but I I want the esteem. And I want to let the disciples know that, you know, we're giving all of it to them. That person would have probably said, you know what? That's probably not the right way to go. And it could have saved them from death. And you see, here's the key area. One of the best ways in how you and I can experience God's love is when we are vulnerable. And we can be honest about where we are in our lives. And so many of us, we, we don't end up going to connect with God at that level where we can't even be vulnerable with ourselves alone. And as a result of that, we, we struggle so much to want to be vulnerable with other people because we long for the esteem of others. And wanting the esteem of other people, oftentimes we believe that we cannot show our own brokenness or our sinful nature. And as a result of that, we kind of put up masks and we pretend to be somebody that we're not. And if you want to experience God's love for you today, Honestly, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, it's about you being honest and having integrity with your sins and your brokenness. If you can do that, you will begin to experience the depth of God's love for you in your life. Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be like Barnabas, like Joseph. They wanted the esteem, they lusted after it, and eventually led to their demise. There's nothing wrong with wanting recognition, Metro. But if you lie about it to get it, it's pretty wrong. And my hope is that as a church, that as we sort of embark into this holiday season, that you can begin to give yourself time and space to be very vulnerable and honest with yourself first. That's the first step. But then you would be open to being honest and vulnerable with other people. Confessing your sins and your brokenness. It's one of the holiest things you could ever do that when you can do that, you will experience the wealth of God's love for your life. Integrity with our sins and our brokenness, integrity with our money and our possessions will lead us to a life of joy and a thankful heart. So are you joyful today? Do you have a thankful heart? If you're struggling with that, maybe you got to ask yourself, how am I dealing with money? How am I dealing with my own brokenness, do I keep it to myself and not let anyone else see it, or am I open enough to share it? I think the first part of my Christian life, I, I grew up lying about myself to the church all the time. For those who might be new and you don't know my story, uh, I grew up in a, in a physically abusive home from my father, and um, uh, that sort of created a lot of insecurities and a lot of issues in my own life. As you grew up at a young age with that kind of a home. And when I became a Christian when I was a sophomore in high school, I became like this radical, I mean, I was like this radical Christian. Like, I'm going to go proclaim Jesus to everyone. I went into malls. Guys, I was a sophomore in high school. I went into malls and I talked about Jesus to people. They thought I was crazy, but I didn't care. I was so in love with Jesus. And so because of that, I just started sharing about Jesus. And as I was in high school, my pastor said, you know what? I want you to be the president of the youth group. I said, all right, that fits me, the president of this youth group. That fits me. That title is something I like. Right? I led worship. I put together revival meetings. People from all over Berne County would come for a worship conference. I mean, I put stuff like that together. We recorded a worship album which was horrible but we still did it because right? of my leadership, my zest for Jesus Christ. I have it if you want it. We were called SOS, Soldiers of the Savior. Right? That was the name of our ministry. All right, soldiers of the savior, all right? I have a tape if you want to borrow it. It's a cassette tape, analog back then, analog, all right? Uh, it was bad, it was horrible, it was horrible. But man, I hid behind my spirituality. Nobody knew what was going on in my life. Nobody understood the brokenness and, and sort of this insecurity and these, and these ridiculous sinf- patterns of sinfulness that was going on in my life at that time. Nobody knew because spirituality is what everyone saw. Got into college, same thing, became vice president of my, of my ministry. I taught Bible study. I ended up discipling about 10 to 15 guys every year. I mean, I was just pouring out hard, recorded an album with three songs of my own, right, and it was bad, all right, but it's still, I still wanted to do it So I wanted people to see how spiritual I am, and no one knew. No one knew how afraid I was. Nobody knew how much I struggled with lust and how it almost consumed me 24-7. Nobody knew how angry I was getting all the time. Nobody knew the sins that I was hiding and how I was living such a deep, dark lie with my pastor and my fellowship group. Nobody knew why because they saw the beautiful side of me. I hid behind my spirituality. I went, I graduated from college, I started working and I started serving in my local church and again I was I was the bomb. Small group leader, worship leader, I taught youth group. I mean, I was at church every day. I was like the quintessential, the greatest lay leader any pastor could dream up on. Because I served the church and I never got this burnout stuff? Are you kidding me? I mean, why Why do people get burnout when you're serving the Lord? That was my mentality. Nobody knew what was going on. I hid behind all of it. Nobody knew but the deep, inner, dark secrets that I held in within myself. And then on June of 97, I attended a revival meeting that I did not organize. But I attended it, and God called me into ministry. And I remember just sitting at the altar, and I laid before God all my junk, all my sins, all my weaknesses, all my brokenness. I said, why do you want me to do this? Why would you call somebody like me to do this? Because you know how messed up I am. And God said, that's why. That's why I want you to do it. Because you know you can't do it without me. I did not know what that meant at the end of the day was that God didn't just want me to remember that I can't do it without him, but I had no idea that God would want me to share my sins and my brokenness with you even here on stage for the past 14 and a half years. I hated it so much in the beginning. It was almost like you violated me, that I was up here completely naked and you saw me naked and the first thing I wanted to do when I started sharing about my life and about some of the brokenness I had to endure, I wanted to get in my car and just go home. I didn't want to see you face to face. It was so hard to do it in the beginning. I had no idea that God wanted me to, to sort of make my sins and my brokenness public before you. And really at the end, I mean, it's kind of a sobering reality. That's really all I got. All I got to give to you are my sins and my brokenness. And I'm serious, I'm not trying to downplay upplay this. That's all I got. And you know what? It's enough, because as I've been able to be vulnerable with my own self, with my community of brothers that I have in my life, and even with you, I've experienced such a wealth of God's love in my life. I'm just so grateful for the types of people that God has brought into my life. I know the singles last week, you guys went away on a retreat. Kevin Butcher did an amazing job. I know a lot of you were impacted, but I also know that at that retreat, you guys were able to share your mask with one another. I was so happy to hear that because that's what our church is about. It's about being honest and vulnerable with our own brokenness. Two weeks ago, I led staff meeting, and I said to the staff, I said, hey, um, answer one of the two questions. The first one, would you just give us an update about your ministry and maybe some challenges that you're facing right now? That's the first question you can answer. Or if you don't want to answer that, you only can answer one because you don't have enough time. I said, how goes it with your heart? That's the second question. You pick. I thought everyone was going to pick the first, but almost everyone shared how, how it was going with their heart. And I couldn't believe the authenticity and the vulnerability that each of these staff members started sharing with one of us. Folks, we experienced the bounty of God's love in that meeting. I came back from Thailand last Sunday, we took a group of people from this church to Thailand, and we had really an amazing time out there. There's our group, we're in Chiang Mai there, and this is a home where they have 10 women staying in this home, uh, 10 bedrooms, 10 bathrooms. Can you believe a home like that exists? 10 rooms, 10 bathrooms, and these women are employed by by, uh, Scott and Christina. They they helped launch this company called Bella Goose Coffee, it's like a cafe restaurant, And these women are employed there, given an opportunity an alternative to make money and income as opposed to doing something that we don't want them to entertain and do. And you guys know in Thailand, human trafficking is very, very high. And so we spent about a week and a half there and it was just really a great moment. Next week, hopefully we're gonna have some people share their testimonies with you. Um, But uh, we we were in Bangkok for a few days and we attended this uh, Abundant Life Center. It was a missionary couple there that had been there for over 30 years. And what they do is that they make they teach women uh, how to make bags, really nice, all sorts of bags. And then they sell it to churches here in America. So in a couple weeks, guess what? You're going to see their bags. Hopefully you'll buy it. Because what happens, and as you buy it, that money goes to them and it gives them an opportunity to have a salary again so that they have alternative ways to make income so that they don't have to do the other things that we don't want their culture, uh, that they've learned from their culture. And so that's really the, the premise. And so this woman, Karen, she, she just kind of goes around. and We meet her for the very first time. That's her, carrying And she says, um, she's Japanese. She goes, could you share with us how you met God? I was like, okay, that's an interesting question. I've never, I mean, that could be a long answer. There's like 10 of us. Like a lot of people can answer. Take 10, 15 minutes per person. And so, uh, but we went and we shared. And Scott and Christina Kwok, uh, Scott was on staff here at Metro. Uh, we got a picture of Scott and Christina. There they are. Uh, many of you know who Scott is. Scott was on staff. Uh, I discipled Scott for about six months during a discipleship intensive that I had with him. And, um, and uh, he, it was his time to share. And he said to the group, he said, I found God at Metro. I grew up as a pastor's kid kind of grew up in the church, but I've nearly lost my entire faith in God um, after the tech bust happened. He had a, he had a pretty successful e-commerce company, and um, he was doing well financially. He was living in D.C. at the time. He had a good girlfriend, and he said it was like this perfect storm. Once the tech you know, bust happened, he lost his company, lost all his money, had nothing. He was completely broke, lost his girlfriend at the same time, and it was so hard for him. He had to get away from D.C. because there was just such negative energy there, and he moved up to Jersey out of all places. And somebody told him about Metro, and he said, I found God at Metro because I walked in, and he said that I was at a place at such a low point in my life that I even had thought about taking my own life. And he said, and I went into that church, and I sat down, and I couldn't believe I heard a pastor confess his sins and his brokenness with me. And he said week after week as he heard it, he said he experienced God's love more and more and more and more. And I remember as he was just sharing that, I was, I was so touched by that because rem- I was reminded again of this reality that when we can be open about our sins and our brokenness, when we have integrity about it, I don't do that perfectly, don't get me wrong. I don't do it great, but I try to make it a big part of who I am in my ministry here at Metro. And though it was a sacrifice so much at the beginning, I hated doing this, there is such a reward because God is not only impacting Thailand, he's impacting Cambodia, he's impacting the Philippines, and he believes that God has called him to reach all of Southeast Asia. And it's just a beautiful thing to see something like that out of a person who was limping into the church but yet was able to experience God's love by what? Not through a great sermon, but just by hearing the brokenness of a man who's doing his best to try to pursue God every day of his life, and he doesn't do it perfectly by no stretch of the imagination. Do you know that your brokenness is a gift to the world today? Do you know that there are people who need to hear it? Maybe your wife, maybe your husband, maybe your children, maybe your parents, Maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend or your friends. Because if they do, maybe they will come in contact with the very love of God in their lives. Your brokenness is a gift to the world. Your money and your possessions is a gift to the world. Have integrity with it. And may you experience the joy that precipitates a heart of thankfulness. Let's pray. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to be so real with God and I want you to quietly or you can say it quietly out loud, not yelling but what I want you to do is I want you to confess to God your brokenness. Just confess your brokenness. Your sins and stop blaming other people for your hardships right now. But at this moment, maybe it's the hardest person to confess this to is actually yourself. It's daunting to live in reality. It's so scary for a lot of us and we'd rather not live in reality and live a life that's fake because we don't know what reality entails. And so what I want you to do right now, I just want you to have an authentic moment with God. Would you embrace and admit some of your brokenness and sins before God, being so raw and honest with him so that you can find him in the storms of your life, so that you can find him in your brokenness. It's only, the only way we know that God truly loves us is not when everything is going well and and we feel like we're perfect. One of the best ways in how we realize how much God loves us is when we're broken and God is with us in that brokenness and he embraces you and he whispers into your ears, rely upon someone who's not broken and it's him. So go to him this Thanksgiving Sunday and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Room today would want prayer over your brokenness. Just raise your hand and say, Peter, would you just pray for my brokenness? I see your hand, you can put it down. I see your hand, you can put it down. Anyone else, I see your hand, you can put it down. All over the place, guys. I see your hands, you can put it down. Anyone else Saint Peter, just pray. Pray for my brokenness today. That I wouldn't be ashamed of it. I see your hand, you can put it down. Anyone else? I see your hand, you can put it down. God, we thank you that you embrace our brokenness. And I pray that we would as well. That we would be honest about it, have integrity with our brokenness. I pray for fathers here, God, that they could go to their child and say, I'm so sorry for what I said or did to you because I'm just broken. I'm really broken. God that would begin a reconciliation with their child in such a way, God, that it would breathe new life. I pray for a mom for the same. For husbands and wives that have broken relationships that they would just be able to confess their brokenness with one another, saying, "I'm just I'm just messed up." It's not an excuse. I ask that you would forgive me. And God, as we're open about that, even within this church, would you help us to experience your love that surpasses all understanding? God, that there's no reason for us to pursue you if we don't know your love. With our money and our possessions, God, I pray, God, that you would release us from the bondage and love of it. And God, that we would never hold money in our possessions so tightly with our hands, but that we would hold it with loose hands and give it to you. And I pray for those in this room that are just blessed financially, God. God, that wherever they are in their lives, if they're old, if they're you know, middle-aged, or if they're young, God, that they would begin to start to dream about how their money and their possessions could be used to bless your kingdom in the church. integrity about it also always so God we invite you to join us today help us God to be honest with where we are with our sins and our brokenness that we would not allow our brokenness and our sins to drive us further away from you but rather would lead us to run to your arms to know that we are truly children of God that you are our Abba in whom you are still well pleased with So be with our church, Holy Spirit come now and minister to this congregation that you gave your life for. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Some next steps that I'd love for you to take. The first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that and you wanna take that step, I just want you to check that off and then I want you to go to the next table which is by the exit today. And one of our pastors or our leaders will be there. They'll give you a new believers pack and they'd love to pray with you. Second, I will give to the Christmas offerings. an opportunity for you now to give some of your money and your possessions to this offering. If you didn't bring anything today, it's fine. Just during the next 10 weeks, I hope that you'll bring and be able to give generously to that Christmas offering. All of it goes to the things of God to bless missionally here in Englewood and beyond, all right? Third, I'm going to confess a sin or an area of my life that is broken with someone this week. I had lunch with my daughter, Christina, yesterday, and I had to put it to practice. I was able to share with her a brokenness in my own life. She's 17, so she's an adult now. And so I'm trying to help her to to be more of an adult by even me being vulnerable with her. And so I want to encourage you, all right, do it this week. Share. A sin or an error of brokenness in your own heart. Fourth, please sign me up for Connections Dinner on December 2nd. It's kind of an opportunity if you're new to this church, just want to learn more about what Metro is about, I'd love to invite you to my home and you can learn a little bit more about the church. And uh, it'd be an opportunity for you to connect with some of the newcomers at Metro. So please, December 2nd, it'll be at my home at 4 p.m., all right? Uh, The last is Partnership Class, which is our membership class on the 9th of December, the following week. It's an opportunity for you to learn what it means to be a partner in this church. Uh, The early church We're partners, you need to know that. And part of your obedience to your discipleship in God is to not just date churches, to get fully invested in the community by becoming a partner. I wanna encourage you to think about doing that. And then one, one, one other thing I, I realized in the bulletin, on the 2nd of December at 1.15 p.m. Uh, here at church, there was going to be a Beyond the Building informational meeting. Now that's for some of you who just started coming out to our church, maybe in July or so. And we'd love to share with you a little bit more about what God has dreamed up for us here in Englewood, and maybe you could be a part of it. If you're interested in that, please get back to us. Information is in the bulletin send me an email, I'd be happy to get you connected to the people that are planning that I'll be there, Pastor Kevin will be there we'd love to talk to you more about that